Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the kingdom of God, and things are not working here the way they should be. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was having calls this morning, uh, lots of things going on all the time, and uh, anyway, we'll see how things work uh, going through the show, but I was going to move on to Micah, but I've been doing a lot of work uh, going over Micah to try to get a more clear picture for the individual who uh, is looking at uh, these uh, minor prophets in uh, greater depth. So we just finished uh, Malachi, and we will be putting that out uh, pretty regularly to the people that are on the network and uh that's so if you want to hear the whole thing from the people on the network you need to be one of the people on the network and uh, so you need to go to preparingyou.com and uh or hisholychurch.org and sign up for the network uh we've tried uh newsletters and we have a newsletter you can sign up and uh we should probably try to put more out but because of all the uh algorithms and the uh, protections and the different uh, types of email that people have out there uh it it uh it it's it's very slow to get the information uh out to people uh when you're uh, using these uh, mail programs uh because they have to meter the the messages out and uh, sometimes it takes hours to get everybody that's on the list but if you join the network then everybody is kind of compartmentalized in the different you know the network is based on geography so you know we send one message to the people in australia and everybody gets it within seconds and we send one message to people in texas and everybody in texas can get it within seconds we want to compound this. We just heard in the news how um, certain people uh, who had uh, Internet networks and, uh, you know, social media have been censored and stifled and uh, and uh, deplatformed and uh, taken out of uh, the store so you can't download the app, even though they were one of the most sought-after ones, but the competition, clearly in violation of uh, antitrust laws, is uh, is uh, suppressing access to each other. And, of course, that whole thing with the social distancing and uh, wearing face masks and threatening to put you in jail if you don't put on a, vast, a face mask or or thousands of dollars in fines, and this is all because of a virus that, at best, uh, well, let's put it this way, at worst, has a 99.8% survival rate. Uh, the reality is, is that we're hearing 500,000 deaths in America from this virus, and that is absolutely a lie. It, it is a bold-faced lie. If I put it on Facebook, I'd probably be censored. But it is a lie. 
and so people have to start realizing that they're being duped, that they're being deceived, that uh, things are not the way that they are being told in the media. They are the, the data, these people that are counted as uh, COVID deaths is simply not dying of COVID. Most of them are probably not dying with COVID. And that is the evidence from scientists, from not only general scientists, but the top scientists in the United States, in Germany, etc. And we put out a page uh, at Preparing You, and you just look up. The science. Just write the science up in the search engine and you'll find it. And we're quoting top uh, epidemiologists and doctors and scientists in, in the world. And they're saying there's absolutely no need for a vaccine. Yet the media is constantly pushing this. Fear is constantly pushing this. And there seems to be an agenda behind the scenes, and we've talked about it, and I've shared information about this. And uh, and people should be aware of that, and uh, they're not. And what? Why is that? That they're not aware of that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. But we're going to take a funny trail. We're going to look at men and women and the relationship of men and women, and the perception that people have of this relationship of men and women from the beginning, because this goes back to a primordial. Uh, interaction of male and female from the beginning. And this seems to ex- be extremely confused in today at all kinds of levels. People can't, they're even confused about whether they're male or female. And they have a dysphoria about it. And they're confused about it. And, and we're supposed to go along with their delusion. And that's just simply not a good thing. That is actually kind of a bad thing. <laughs> Anyway, um, we're we're going to take a look at that, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of these things. Uh, and for some reason, my recording here in the studio is not working. But we're also going to look at uh, nomological networks. Eventually, we're going to it's going to tie into that, and uh, uh, we're going to see what it is that has caused this dysphoria and confusion in all of us uh, and in so many people the the confusion is so extreme so complete that uh th- that they are actually mutilating themselves and then they're uh, becoming subject to uh confusion on all sorts of levels so they cannot even see the truth, even if they wanted to see the truth, which is the secondary thing. They do not want to see the truth because the truth is, truth is so painful for them to perceive and to understand. So what, you know, a lot of people, you can go and look at our series on, on uh, Micah. Uh, as soon as we get it put together, we've, we've started, uh, I started putting some of the notes, um, but Malachi is up already, and by Tuesday we will have the audios for Malachi for all all the chapters of Malachi. And Malachi in some places is got more chapters than in other Bibles. It just depends on how they divide it up. 
But we cover that, and Malachi was talking about the very things that we're facing today. And people wonder, how can you have these prophecies thousands of years ago and they relate today? It's because those prophecies are based on basic principles that are incorporated in the very nature of mankind and the very nature of creation itself. We live in this cause and effect universe. And because we live in this cause and effect universe, uh, we are able to uh, predict where things are going to go if we follow certain paths and of action and reaction in our lives. And one of the things that guides us in those actions and reactions in our lives is culture. Culture matters. It's what we learn from when we are very young and uh, what we are perceiving and understanding about the world around us based on this filter that culture puts over our eyes and over our minds. Uh, we're very young and and uh, and vulnerable when we're born into a culture and what we're seeing every day from our parents and from uh, the people around us and then of course if we're removed from our parents then we're influenced by the people that we're surrounded with you know like in public schools and and even private schools these people will have an influence over us because they will bring their cultural filters into our lives and we will begin to see things as they present them. And we will have social pressures put on us to accept certain ideas. Now, the same people say that, you know, that all cultures are valid uh, because they also say there's no wrong answers and they talk about things like, uh, your truth and my truth, and they want to think that truth is subjective to our opinion. This is a satanic gospel that you can decide what truth is. You can decide what good is and what evil is. That it, there is no God that says this is good or this is evil. And of course, this is where uh, lots of people, and, and this comes in lots of different forms, where people are taking you down these roads to confusion. And uh, you you need to have a protection against that, because when you go down that roads, some people will manipulate your thinking. They will manipulate through, like I say, those cultural filters or influence or pressure or trauma. Uh, that's a big way that a lot of people do this is through trauma. They will continue to influence you and your thinking and your mind, and they will write upon your heart and upon your mind, and they will be to you a God. Because they will control your thinking. You you won't have any say-so in it. We, we have free will. We have a right to make a decision. But we don't make that decision in our brains mentally. We make them in our, what they call our mind and our heart. 
And the mind is not simply the brain. The brain is a tool and an instrument, but the mind is this consciousness that seems for most people to dwell in their mind. Some people, their consciousness does not really dwell all the time in their mind. It dwells in other parts of their their anatomy. Uh, one in particular is your stomach, because there are actually brain cells in your stomach. We've talked about that before, and scientists have realized that. And you can be influenced by your stomach. <laughs> And other parts of your body may have the similar thing. In some creatures, their brains, uh, their brain cells are all over their body in their nervous system. Of course, your nervous system is a part of your mind, and uh, it connects you. There's, you know, autonomic uh, reactions that you have that uh, don't seem to go through your mind. They're just automatic. They're reflexive, and. Uh, so all those things are going on, and they're influencing you. Culture is influencing you. Trauma is influencing you. Uh, emotions, which is chemistry in your body, is influencing you. But somewhere deep down inside, what we sometimes refer to as your soul or your spirit, although those aren't really the same things. They're sometimes used interchangeably. But your soul and your heart... Uh, are making decisions. And once you make those decisions in that place, the decisions you make in your mind may be influenced by that decision as well as by those other things that are external like trauma and uh, and cultural filters that make you think that, you know, like if you're raised in a cannibal society, eating your enemy is a good thing. It you know that's you know we we want to kill our enemies and cook them up and gives us power and we think it gives us power so therefore it does give us power. So anyway, uh, we're going to start off looking at this by looking at woman, which doesn't seem fair because man, according to creation, came first. <laughs> but the fact is that woman is a man. This is one of the things that just. It just it's just comical. Uh Trudeau once said something about uh mankind. Somebody said something about mankind and he corrected them and said, No, not mankind, person kind. Because we don't want to be excluding women. Well, I don't know if anybody noticed, but the word woman has the word man in it. <laughs> so <laughs> but person doesn't have the word man or woman in it. And the reality is a person is a member. And as soon as you say person, you're actually excluding everybody who is not a member. But mankind includes woman and man. It is an extremely inclusive word, but he wanted to use person because he thought it was more inclusive which shows you the strong delusion and irrationality of people who are actually running the entire country of Canada. And uh, and they don't see that. They don't understand that that is the case. Why? How can they be so blind to not understand that that is the case? that that is the reality that they're facing. Uh, but anyway, that is the case, that they do not understand and they cannot see the true nature 
of the people that they call their leaders. They just don't perceive who their leaders really are and uh, what is going on in, in their reality and in their life. So, anyway, uh, what, what we want to do is, uh, look at woman first and, and we will have to, of course, incorporate that idea of who woman is by looking at man. And, uh, so, Anyway, the, I have a bunch of recordings also at Preparing You already. I was going to try to go through them, but just didn't have the time this morning. But I have a little bit written there under a page called Woman, and it starts off saying the woman is a vessel. And uh, that is a unique nature of a woman, that she is also the vessel of society. Everybody living in society got here by coming through a woman. That is the process of creation. Now, there's a spiritual side to that. And the reality is both men and women are vessels spiritually. Both men and women can be vessels of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, we're not going to go into great depth with that. I'll put a link on that page so that you can see our article on that. But basically, when we're talking about this Holy Spirit, we're talking about a separate spirit. Because that's what the word holy almost always means whenever you see it in, in sacred scriptures. It has to do with a separate spirit. And there is this spirit of the creator. And this this spirit moves through all creation. This is why we see this intelligent design in life on earth. There's this huge debate as to whether the you know creation or evolution... And there are people who believe that the, that there is more to creation than just, you know, a seven-day event, that in the strict interpretation, supposedly the people who strictly interpret the Bible exactly the way it says, and I can prove in two minutes, uh, five at the tops, that all these people who say that, they actually do not strictly interpret the Bible they have their pet strict interpretations, but they miss the actual spirit of the Bible, and they are actually leading people away from the truth. But then I'm not an evolutionist. I'm an intelligent design person. And that intelligence that organizes creation and is built into creation, it's, it, it's it, this pattern is built into all creation. And Christ talks about that, that you could see these signs in nature because they're teaching you what God is because God, by looking at his creation, that's one way of looking at God and getting to know God by knowing his creation. And we are that creation. And supposedly we are a creation made in his image. Both man and woman are made in the image of God. So, what exactly does that mean? Well, that Holy Spirit is that what I, I have articles up and you, and re, with recordings about spiritual DNA. That before there was DNA, there was spirit. Before there was anything, the spirit, you know, spoke and breathed into existence this pattern. And that pattern is the spirit of God and it is seen in all creation. So the Holy Spirit 
is that creator spirit that dwelleth in those who will receive it. While there are other spirits out there that are are not, they are actually separated from the Holy Spirit, therefore the Holy Spirit is separated from them. And that also wants to write upon your heart and your mind. It wants to control and manipulate you. And it will use culture and those things, like I said, trauma and emotions to manipulate you because it wants to have dominion over you. And it also wants to have dominion over this planet. Now, that sounds bizarre. Something wants to have dominion over this planet. Go back to the story of of the Garden of Eden. And the first commandment of God was to dress it and keep it. And if you go through uh, Micah and Malachi, we'll go through uh, Micah eventually here, but it go through Malachi. This is part of the deal, is to arrest away dominion from the garden, because you actually live in the garden. It doesn't seem to be a garden because you haven't been walking with God because you separated yourself from God because you did not want to see the truth about your relationship with man and woman, woman's relationship with man and man's relationship with woman. That's where it started, is that we didn't want to see the truth about ourselves And, of course, Adam blamed it on the woman and blamed it on God. And the woman, of course, did not listen uh, to the wisdom of God. And uh, even when her husband said, isn't this the fruit that we're not supposed to eat, this knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't an apple, it was this knowledge of good and evil, deciding what was right and what was wrong, saying there is no right and wrong. We can decide whatever we want. We can make it whatever we want. There is no truth. There is your truth, there's my truth, there's Eve's truth, there's Adam's truth. No. If you think that, you will not have dominion long. You will not walk in the light of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will not dwell in you, and you will not be able to go near the Holy Spirit. You will actually flee from it, and it will not enter into you and show you the truth. And so you will be wandering out in the wilderness trying to find your truth or a truth or whatever truth your culture says is true and you'll be stuck (laughs) out there lost in the wilderness like a lost lamb but the good shepherd wants to bring you back and wants to show you how to walk in this world so that the whole world becomes the garden of paradise because the garden of paradise is not a place it's a place of your mind and your soul, of your heart and your spirit. And it dwelleth with the Holy Spirit. So, like I said, man and woman are vessels. And so what we want to do is bring that vessel into us uh, as it was intended to be. Anyway, we're going to take a break here, and I'm going to see if I can't restart this and get the recording going in here, (laughs) I guess. Right now, I can't get anything to work, but uh, hopefully when we come back, everything's working. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I said we were going to talk about men and women, and uh, that's exactly what we are going to do, but I'm still not recording here in the studio for some reason. (laughs) 
uh, I gave it a good shot, but it's just not working out. So anyway, both man and woman are vessels. The question is, are we a vessel for what? What are we letting into our hearts and into our minds that is affecting how we think, what we think, how we make decisions, how we live our lives, what what is really going on in our personal uh, bodies, in our personal minds, in our spirit, in our soul. We have a form of religion now that is actually an emotionalized uh, view and state of existence that is actually keeping us from knowing that Holy Spirit of creation and keeping us from knowing our full potentials as men and women, as mankind. However we got here, and we got here through a creator. Who is that creator? Do we recreate that creator in our own minds? Do we imagine who that creator is and what that creator is in our own mind? And then worship that creation that we have established in our minds by the influence of culture and trauma and other ideas that have come along over the years uh, in our our maturing and our living upon this earth uh, for this short period of time that we have been living here. And we have, what, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 100 years to live 120 years, maybe tops, and we're supposed to figure out the nature of the universe. We actually can do that. We can do a whole lot more than we even imagine we can do, but we have to follow that creative spirit, which is in all things, but not in us because we have a choice. So anyway, that choice is made and not made by certain influences. Now, when we talk about women and, uh, you know, I being a man talking about a woman, that could be a crazy thing to begin with, and a lot of people may find that offensive. But uh, women have actually got a lot of bad press. Uh, They are God's creation, just as we are God's creation, and they have a purpose, and without them, we are not complete. And that's why God created them. And uh, I always say that if a man thinks he is wise, let him marry. If he thinks he is patient, let him have children. Because these relationships are actually meant to help us grow in a way that improves us as a species, as an entity in this universe in which we dwell. We look out at the stars and we look into the heavens and we realize this is a pretty amazing place, but we are conscious of its existence. We should be conscious of a whole lot more. But like I say, women get bad press, partly because of the story of Adam and Eve is so misinterpreted, uh, but partly because of a few statements that Paul has made, such as in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty four, let your women keep silent in the church. It doesn't say oppress your women or pick on your women, but uh, let them keep silent in the church. And then what word is that that we're looking at? For it is not permitted, and he 
actually has a particular word there that that, that is uh, translated this way into English unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Well, that sounds really oppressive. That that sounds that that is a terrible uh, thing. It, and the word we see there is translated uh, uh, a lots of different ways, but it says, says uh, it, it's epitrepo is the actual Greek word. And it's translated suffer ten times, permit four times, uh, give leave uh, twice, give liberty once, give license, let, uh, to turn to answer, commit, instruct, permit, allow, give leave. So what what was Paul trying to say there in that thing? Now you, you take these little statements out of context. And you're not going to understand what he's talking about. For it is not permitted, he's saying, it's it's not suffered unto them to speak. Now, when he goes back, let your women. Now, that could be a husband and his wife or a husband and his daughters. It's not talking about a woman who is not a part of a family. It's talking about a a woman who is a widow and has nobody with her. You have to look at the times in which they're speaking. And this is just one little statement. He's he's talking about women being ministers of the gospel. And people say, well, wait a minute. Women aren't to exercise authority because we can go down and look at 1 Timothy 2.12. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. Over the man, over men, it says over the man. What is? What are they talking about? And again, we see this word silence, and we can look at that in the Greek, but we're not going to dwell on this a long time. But the reality is there were women who were ministers of the gospel. And certainly... Uh, there were women, all, most all the ministers of the early church were married. This is a very important part of understanding the nature of the gospel because we're going to get into looking at a book that somebody has written recently. And we're going to show you how all these misconceptions come about. But almost all, Paul was married at one time. He was a rabbi and it was required amongst the Pharisees to become a rabbi. You had to marry. Evidently, his wife died. Uh, we we just don't have enough technical information to know what happened to her, but she didn't seem to be on the scene when Paul was writing to Damascus and was uh, brought into the ministry. He, he was already a widower. He, we know he had uh, brothers and sisters. We know that he had nieces. Uh, we know who they were. We know about when they died. We know that they became Christians. That We know that their their mother and their father are mentioned in the Bible. Their other uncle is mentioned in the Bible. But most people don't know who they are because they don't study it into the depth that you should. We have that uh, preparing you. If you look up Paul, we'll tell you who his family was and what was all going on there. But uh, so when people ask, you know, should a person marry, Paul's advocating marriage. 
in his particular role, traveling all over the Roman Empire, delivering supplies to Christian communities, picking up collections and moving them around. And why is he doing this? Because he was Romeos, which we also explain. He wasn't a Roman citizen. He was Romeos. Romeos meant in full possession of your rights. And so, therefore, he could get through a lot of gates. He could make appeals in courts that other people could not make. Most people, when they were arrested or accused, they would be tried as a Roman citizen called Quiris. But if you were Romeos, they could not try you in an administrative court. You don't know these things. You won't understand Paul. And if you if you don't understand Paul, because Paul was, according to Peter, going to tell you things hard to understand, you're going to misinterpret 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 and think somehow other Paul was oppressing women. That is not true. For one thing, and this is this is critical in understanding the, the text of the New Testament, the church is not the congregation of the people. The church is the called out. Just like the Levites were called out in the wilderness, the church was called out by Jesus Christ to be ye separate from the world. Now, what was the mission of the church? To return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. And that's what the church established by Jesus Christ is trying to do. But in order for them to do that, you have to sit down as Christ commanded his ministers to make the people do in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That would be ten families, a husband and his family, in groups of ten. And they pick a minister, and those ministers gather in a group of ten, etc., etc., until the entire network of the church in general is connected from one end of the Roman Empire or the unholy Roman Empire, which is what we have today, (laughs) all over the world, connected by the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network that is practicing pure religion instead of the covetous practices of the world. And then, then those congregational individual people can start making choices that will help separate them from the world and make them vessels of the Holy Spirit because their walk towards salvation is an individual walk and the church is never standing between them and the Holy Spirit. The church simply has a mission to facilitate that international network of charity and hope that is practicing pure religion. Most people who say they are Christians are not practicing pure religion They are actually workers of iniquity, practicing their policies or covetous policies that has made them merchandise and curse their children. And the reason this has all happened is because they don't understand the relationship of man and woman. It is not an oppressive relationship. A man is not oppressing a woman. They are a team. They are one entity. They are working as a body. They are a corporate body of God himself. No more twain, but one corporate body. And we call that body the family. Just as the children should listen to their parents, so should the wife listen to her husband. 
But her husband, Paul goes on to say this, very seldom see people quoting 1 Corinthians 14 go on to say this, the husband should love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed himself, humiliated, allowed himself to be humiliated, allowed himself to be abused so that he could rise again and profess the sovereignty of his church, which was the called out who could now say there is another king, one Jesus, and we have been appointed his kingdom. His kingdom does not operate like the kingdoms of the world that bring the people into subjection, who who compel the people, make them wear. We would not make you wear face masks in the church. We we would not make you get forced injections in the church. We would not force you to pay tithes or taxes to the church. But there is a church that has been crowning men over you, and those men have been forcing you, and you have gone under tribute because you've been slothful in the practice of pure religion, all because you don't understand the true relationship of man and woman and God. You are both to be walking with God. You are both to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. And you are not. Instead, you have cried out the corpus body of the church. That's why Lady Godiva is on the cover of the Free Church Report. It's because she wouldn't go along with this. But there was a corporate church established by Constantine and then all the daughters of that church that go to men who call themselves benefactors and pray to those men to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor. And they eat up these wages of unrighteousness, these benefits, these rewards of unrighteousness, of their covetous practices, practicing public religion, not pure religion, not religion unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of government, because that's what it says. It says not spotted by the world, and they use the word world there that means constitutional orders and system of government. That's what your concordance says that word means. And you use that to take care of the needy of your society. And now you have fallen to the point, and we explain this in our study of uh, uh, this... Uh, prophet Malachi that you have forced, torn the offerings from your neighbor something John the Baptist preached against, something Paul preached against, See, Paul preached the perfect law of liberty, you're to take care of one another through free choice the more you do that, the sacrifice of doing that draws you near the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit near you and that's how you begin to see what other people will not see. Your dysphoria will go away. Your depression will go away. Your anger will go away. And you will be filled with that Holy Spirit, which is not an emotional spirit, but a righteous spirit. And we will see that righteousness in your actions. So, women in those days were to have a male covering, a husband, a father, a brother, an uncle someone 
who was usually bigger and stronger and connected with other men that would come to the defense of the woman who is a vessel of tomorrow's society. And we're going to see how distorted this look, uh, this image comes from people who are writing books, bestseller books that are turning into movies and seducing uh, the minds of your children away from righteousness as they have seduced the children of your parents you away from righteousness into the imperial into the imperial cult of Rome and uh, where you have now entered into a welfare state everybody's worried about communist takeover you have all ten laws of the communist manifesto law today in America and Australia and Canada it's just now the other boot is dropping and you're feeling the uncomfortableness of this. You don't need to become tax protesters. You don't need to become insurrectionists. You need to repent and seek the kingdom of God. John the Baptist said, you don't do it by force. You do it by charity. Christ said, you do it by charity, by love of one another. That's how you are to take care of the needy of your society. We did that in America 150 years ago. You don't do that anymore. You do it through force. You have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. If you are going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and seek the kingdom of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ in with your whole heart, mind, and soul... You need to understand the relationship of man and woman. And by looking at how people have distorted that relationship and confused that relationship, we hope to touch your hearts and minds enough and open them up enough and erase this garbage that has been put into your mind and heart by bad cultures, uh, trauma, uh, abuse, uh, oppression, uh, and... uh, and free you from those things that have brought us down as a society, made us vulnerable as a society. If if these injections do what uh, Doctor Tenpenny says, and some of these other doctors, uh, you know, most cited doctor in the history of Germany and uh, uh, top one percent. Uh, doctors and epidemiologists in the United States say that it can do. Uh, Georgetown University came out talking about this cell signaling to host cells that receive the injection, not just coronavirus, which is clearly a manufactured virus. People say, oh, that's been debunked. No, it hasn't been. You haven't read the science. We have links on that page to the actual top scientists in the United States who say that that was a manufactured virus that had an additional S1 protein, as some other things, but that at least is there. And that same S1 protein, even without RNA, can alter the cells and the bodily functions of your body. Just with the S1 protein, and the S1 protein is in these injections. And it's probably even in the new injection they just came out with the Johnson & Johnson, even though that's going to be a slightly different kind, if they're making anybody trying to make a a, uh, vaccine, the mRNA is not really a vaccine. You know, the uh, Moderna 
and the Pfizer. They're not really vaccines. They're actually bioagents. But uh, anybody who makes a legitimate vaccine for the coronavirus, which most people will survive anyway, there hasn't been those deaths, it's probably going to contain that S1 protein. And the S1 protein, based on the Georgetown study that we linked to right there, I've been in touch with the people who did the study, Dr. Suzuki, just that protein by itself, with nothing else, is going to affect your heart muscles, going to affect your liver, going to affect your reproduction uh, process, and you may not be able to have children going to full term, like that doctor who immediately aborted after having the shot. And that takes us back to Malachi, talking about your children untimely falling into the fields because you're aborting them which is the goal of people like Planned Parenthood and Bill Gates and Bill Gates' dad and George Soros and Prince Charles and uh, Klaus Schwab. This is their goal. This is where they're taking you. And your leaders are leading you down there like the Pied Piper on the front of the book, Covenants of the Gods. And in the very first chapter of Micah, they talk about shearing from you your delicate children. That's because he's going to be talking about the same thing, and we'll get into that. But if you don't understand where you stand as a man and a woman, you're not going to be able to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You're not going to be able to walk with the Holy Spirit of God and you're not going to find the righteousness of God or his kingdom. And neither will it find you. So it's going to take some humbling of your heart and your mind. If we look at Luke 2.36. And there was one Anna, a, a, prophet, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Uh, why do I mention that? Because they're talking about these people that were important to early Christianity, that were women. And uh, in Acts 21.8, and the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven. Seven. What were that seven? What were they doing again? Do we remember that back there in Acts? They picked seven to take care of tables. What was what was the tables? Well, they were banks. They weren't like our banks today. They were more like our credit unions, but that was a part of the mission of the church because you had to be separate. You couldn't get the welfare of Rome. You couldn't get the stimulus checks of Rome. And you could actually be excluded. They actually, uh, from Rome proper, they were kicking out all the Jews. We remember that? under Yeah, you're back, but we just heard the tones for the end of the half hour. Okay, uh, yeah, we have no power here. I'm sitting in the dark. <laughs> okay. 
so I don't know how long this phone will even keep going. I was surprised that you, because it just disconnected me on the phone and everything. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So there seems to be forces really trying to keep us from getting this message out, but we'll keep on going. We've lost all power here, and and, the winds are blowing outside, uh, but we'll see if we can get through the rest of this. This is really an important message, and we're going to take you places where you may not have realized it's even possible to go, but you're going to have to take the steps. Anyway, Back to Acts 21.8 when we were interrupted by the forces out there. Philip, who was an evangelist, was also the banker for the church. He was one of the seven. And the church needed its own bank, not to put you in debt like most banks do today, not to make a profit off of you because they did not make a profit, uh, but in order to redistribute food and supplies uh, all over the Roman Empire and through people like Barnabas and Paul, because there were dearths moving across, there was depressions, there were food shortages, there were eventually uh, diseases going across, and they need people needed help, and the church was there to help them because Christians did not go to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. Christians did not pray to the fathers of the earth, the Patronus of Rome, to Caesar for their benefits. They practiced private religion and pure religion to take care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. The modern church doesn't do that. It actually has no king but Caesar because it it depends 80 to 90 to 95 percent of its welfare comes from men who exercise authority. And through covetous practices, this has cursed their children, brought them into bondage. They've made covenants with men who don't believe in charity, but believe in force. And now the whole world is back in the bondage of Egypt, and it's worse with them today than it was before. If you don't believe that, if you don't want to know that, if you don't want to hear that, it's because you don't want to know the truth. You want your truth. Well, I'm giving you Christ's truth. But that Philip had four daughters who are listed here as virgins, so they were probably very young daughters, and uh, they did prophesy, and people listened to their prophecy. That is women speaking uh, in the church to one of the high officials within the church, and people are listening to what they had to say. So. If you take Paul out of context, you will not understand the role of women in the church because the role of women is just as important as the role of men. They, neither one is more or less important. They are simply different roles. And Peter, standing up with eleven, lifted up his voice. This is in Acts 2, uh, verse 14 through 17 said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be his this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Now, last days, there's lots of different last days. Every one of us has the last days of our own life. Every community may have the last days of its life in a particular area. Uh, There's lots of last days, uh, final hours, whatever you want to talk about it. But he says he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. 
And so there may be a culmination of that, and I believe that we're coming up on a culmination of that. But it's the same principle that it feeds through all of nature because it's the same God today and yesterday, uh, here and there and everywhere. Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams on my and my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So you want to be one of those handmaidens or you if you're a woman you want to be one of those sons if you're a man and uh, receive that pouring out of the spirit are you ready to receive it will you be able to receive it joel says in in the second chapter verse 28 and it shall come to pass afterwards that i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions that was at the time that was Joel was prophesying it at the time of Peter and others have prophesied it for our time and it has been many times throughout history that this has taken place well anyway on that page of uh, about women uh which is also about men I have numerous audios. I haven't written a lot of articles on this, but I numerous audios there, and you can go listen to those. But we're going to go take a look at a book, a bestseller book. Actually, a uh, bestseller author, let's put it that way, which is Elizabeth Gilbert. And uh, I am certainly not telling anybody to go out and buy these books. She wrote a book, uh, Eat, Pray, Love, and they made a movie about it. I haven't seen the movie. I heard a little bit about the movie. And, uh, you know, basically she, she had, uh, a bad relationship, whatever that means. And, uh, she went to Italy and ate, and she went to India and prayed at an ashram. And then she went to, uh, Bali, I think it was. It's her road to, to Bali without all the jokes of Bob. And she married a guy, uh, Philippe. Uh, well, she didn't marry him. She started living with him, and then eventually she was against marriage, and they agreed not to marry, and, and all this stuff. And so she had this idea that marriage, there's something wrong with marriage. And she has written another book, uh, Committed. A Skeptic Makes Peace with Marriage. And in it, somebody was, uh, I heard, actually I heard her voice reading, third chapter I guess it was, talking about marriage and the institution of marriage. And she has it so wrong, so confused, so misunderstood such a bad uh, perception of history and the relationship of men and women, which, you know, that's what's going around now, what they're telling you. Not just Howard's Zen, but everywhere, is that somehow men and women have been at battle with each other for thousands of years. You know, men, try hierarchies, trying to oppress women and beat women up and, and make turn them into slaves and everything, make them work hard and all this kind of stuff. Uh, talking to one of my sons, uh, they were saying that how come we all the men always sit, take, you know, if they go to a motel, they always stay on the side of the bed closest to the door, you know, and we joke about you know because if there's a fire, they want to get out first. <laughs> no, and I said it's actually good when we used to live in the cave, 
that's where the raptors and the Tyrannosaurus rexes come from, <laughs> through the mouth of the cave. So we we sit between uh, our wife and our children and danger. And uh, I, in this conversation, we actually brought up, there's a film out there somewhere on the Internet of uh, somebody, uh, a man and a wife and their small child, probably four or five years old, walking down the street. I think it was in a foreign country, Italy or someplace. And uh, some lady began to attack them and actually tried to stab their son with a knife. And uh, immediately, you know, this is split-second stuff. The woman grabs the boy and pulls, I mean, the mother, grabs the boy and pulls him away to protect him from the, the this evil of the woman that is just spewing out of her and with a slashing knife. And she throws herself and her back she turns her back to the woman and shields the child. And the woman, of course, is about to stab her in the back, but the husband instantaneously, this is all in split second, leaps in front of the woman. It stabs several times itself, I think in the arms or someplace like that. I, I didn't see the aftermath or see the medical reports or anything. And begins to defend himself against this violent attack on on his wife and his child. And I thought, there is the relationship of man and <laughs> woman. Now, I don't know how much they fight otherwise, but that is really breaking it down to the essentials. Nobody's thinking about it. Nobody's. That is what goes on. You know, when the, I, the, they use the example, the Tyrannosaurus Rex shows up in the mouth of the cave, the woman grabs the child, she screams, which alerts the children, and the children all run to the back of the cave, and the woman goes to the back of the cave and stands between the children and the and the uh, Velociraptor or whatever it was, because actually I believe Tyrannosaurus rexes were vegetarians. <laughs> they were meat eaters, despite the movies. But that's another story. The husband, he grabs his spear and he says, oh, cool, that this is this is what I'm here for. <laughs> to protect the family. And he goes out and uh, does battle with the Velociraptor and hopefully kills them and saves the family. And then the wife comes out and they cut it up and they have roast Velociraptor. But anyway, that physical event that we see taking place in this ridiculous story or the story of the the couple on the street that are attacked in that, if we look into it deeper, we begin to understand the relationship of men and women for thousands of years has been a team effort of survival in a hostile world. And the world is about to get a lot more hostile. And we need to understand that. So this Gilbert wrote this new book, this committed uh, skeptic uh, on marriage, and it has she's kind of a witty writer and everything, but she is absolutely ignorant of the relationship of man and woman. She she eventually divorced Felipe. They they ended up having to get married because he was evidently coming into the country under a visa and then going out and coming back. You could, and uh, they eventually questioned him and they said, "You're misusing the visa. You cannot keep coming in like this. You're breaking the laws." And uh, but you could, and they told him how he could do it is if you get married, then you can come in 
as a spouse to uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, and so they did, so that they could enter into so he could enter into America. I don't know what he did for a living, but he was evidently able to travel around a lot. But anyway, uh, they eventually divorced, and she's now living with a woman. Uh, but let's run back real quick to the eat, pray, love. Well, you should eat, which is part of this you, sustaining your body, because this body is the vessel of your spirit. You also want to make your body the vessel of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit cometh into you, this will actually have an effect on your body, because man does not live by bread alone, or pasta alone if you're in Italy. <laughs> so, anyway, yes, eat. Pray. Pray you eat wisely. Pray you do not eat one another. Pray you do not take a bite out of one another, lest ye be devoured. That's in the Bible, too. She doesn't seem to, she seems to miss that. (laughs) Because she doesn't understand the Bible. But again, most Christians don't understand the Bible. Most Christianity doesn't understand Christianity. Uh, most of the people who go to church don't understand church. Most of the people who are part of the church, you know, the ministers, don't understand the ministry of the church, which is why I've written these books, why we've written hundreds of articles, why we've done all these audios to try to show you, and we will back it up with actual quotes from the book and put it into a perspective, which if you will let God into your heart, you will also see. her. So you want to pray you do not eat one another, You want to pray that you eat wisely. And now you also want to pray you understand love. Because there's all kinds of love. There's the love that a cat has for a bird, but the bird gets devoured in that love. The bird tries to escape that love. He will come down and play with the cat. He will, you know, I've told about that, where you watch a bird. Well, know the cat's there. And it will come around and it will bounce around on the ground like, try to get me if you can. You know, they're flirting with danger. <laughs> because the danger is what taught them how to fly. <laughs> it's built, fly as well as they fly, move as quick as they move. That That's part of their need for creation. It's why we compete and, and we become stronger with that competition. Animals do it as well. Unfortunately, some birds didn't realize how far that cat could jump, and they get eaten. If, but they love to do it. They love to try and test their abilities, and it's what makes them stronger. It's built into the system of creation. But if you're not loving the way Christ loved, you will not have everlasting love nor everlasting life. You will devour one another. You will bite one another. And and we'll get into a lot of quotes and, and show you how this all works. But uh, anyway, so she writes, and it goes on to say, "Turn." Uh, she is turning all the lights on in her book. No, she is not. <laughs> She's very focused and, and very twisting in her logic. It's a lot like... White Virgility, which came up recently as well, and I may make a few comments about that if we have enough time. I'll get do it in the afternoon show if I have to. When it comes to uh, matrimony, frankly, examining questions of compatibility 
infatuation, fidelity, family traditions, social expectations, divorce risks, humbling responsibilities. That's a good thing. Gilbert's memoirs is ultimately, uh, or memoir is ultimately a, a clear-eyed celebration of love with all the complexities and consequences that real love in a real world actually entails. Well, actually, she doesn't have very good perspective of the real world, and uh, and we're going to take a look at some of that. But let's look at Proverbs fifteen seventeen first. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Stalled ox. What's that mean? An ox in a pen, locked up. Marriage is not meant to lock you in. It's to protect you. <laughs> it's to protect your children. Uh, real marriage. But we'll take a look at that. We have a lot of stuff on marriage, holy matrimony versus marriage, with big distinction there. There's so many things that people are missing. You have to you have to keep listening to find these. And we're going to touch on a lot. Put a lot of stepping stones to get you across the creek. Uh, without getting you all wet. But Song of Solomon says things, talks a lot about this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Well, sounds kind of kinky, but uh, let's go on to uh, chapter 8, verse 6 in the Song of Solomon. Because uh, Song of Solomon is full of metaphors. And we'll have to do that, but that's not high on my list. We'll get through Micah first. <laughs> set, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Whoa. Now that's full of information. A seal upon thy heart as a seal upon thine arm. That's. Is that what the guy was doing when he was risking his life and being stabbed by the woman? Is that what the caveman was doing when he was rushing to the mouth of the cave to meet the velociraptor? Yeah. Yeah. That's because it was a seal upon his heart that was more powerful than the fear of death. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Whoa, whoa. So there is no jealousy in real love. There, There is no stalled ox. There is no pinned up, oppressed woman in a true relationship of love. But jealousy is as cruel as the grave. When you're in the grave, you are worse than a stall. <laughs> worse than locked up. The coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a most vehement flame. What what else has coals? What there's the talk of coals heaped upon someone's head in relationship to love. Love thy enemy. For if you love the enemy, it will be as hot coals heaped upon his head. This will be important in understanding Micah eventually because Micah talks about a fervent heat. What is this heat all about? But anyway, we'll keep moving here. Romans 13.10 Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What is the law? The law of love is that you love your neighbor. If you loved your neighbor, you would never send men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor 
to contribute so that you can have free stuff, you know, free public school education, free college, you know, pay my tuition, pay my student loan. You wouldn't do that if you had real love. Anybody who wants them to forgive student loans does not love their neighbor. Anybody who wants free benefits at the expense of their neighbor, they do not love their neighbor because love does no harm. It worketh no ill against your neighbor. You see, there's a whole lot of people out there who say they're Christians and giving Christianity a bad name so poor Elizabeth doesn't know what Christianity really is. She's all confused. She has Christian dysphoria. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> So she writes a book and confuses people even more. And, of course, the publishers, they're going to want that book out there to confuse as many young children as they possibly can because that's the culture of falsehoods, which is the culture that has come in now. The culture, there is no truth. There is your truth, my truth, and everybody's truth. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. The love of God is of love of God, but the love of a cat for a bird or a cat for a fish, <laughs> that's of the love from the belly. That's the love of your own life more than the life of the bird. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. We will not take a bite out of a neighbor that we do that. It will hurt us in our heart and our soul if we were to do that. You would not be drawn to that. If you're drawn to that, you have need of repentance. You have need of the culture of Christ. So love is of God, the love that giveth life and is not full of jealousy and envy and uh, desiring to covet your neighbor's goods. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. But it has to be that real love, not the covetous love. Love your stuff, you know. So anyway, John uh, verse 12, same chapter. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfect in us. And that's where we want to get, that God dwelleth in us. We want to return to the garden. We want to walk with God in our hearts and in our minds. In order to do that, we have to set aside jealousy and envy and fear. And one way to do that is to let go of all those false doctrines that have brought you back into the bondage of Egypt, cursed your children with trillions and trillions of dollars of debt, have people lining up to take a toxic poison that they will now spread through their own bodily fluids that will cause your children to fall out in the field before their time. So anyway, Elizabeth Gilbert, in her book, she writes, To be fully seen by somebody, then, and be loved anyhow, this is a human offering that can border on miraculous. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. But not necessarily the way that people take it because they don't understand loved anyhow. Because the love that you would receive from somebody who was willing to have the love of God in their hearts would be as hot coals upon their head, and they would flee you. Your love would burn like the fiery sword that sits in the Garden of Eden that keeps us from coming back, because even though that sword is a light of wisdom... 
to those who will see wisdom and truth. It is like hot coals and burns those who do not want to see the truth. This is the divider. You see, God is not punishing you. He's not keeping you out of the garden. You won't go back because you won't face the fervent heat of the truth about your own failing, your own jealousies, your own envy, your own selfishness. But I pray for you daily. She also writes, people always fall in love with the most perfect aspects of each other's personalities. Well, they fall in love with what makes them feel good, that relieves the pain, that takes away the burning coals, the fiery sores, that will show us who we really are. You see, back there where she talked, the the person who fully sees, the person who fully sees themselves is what you want to be. See your failings. See your weaknesses. And allow God to give you the forgiveness so you can forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself before you learn to forgive others. But forgiving others helps you also forgive yourself. It gives you the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness is like a sea. It's like another realm. There's not much forgiveness in hell. There's nothing but forgiveness in heaven. You want to link yourself to the kingdom of heaven. You want to immerse yourself in forgiveness. Why is there? Why did Felipe and Elizabeth break up? Was there a lack of forgiveness? Or an unwillingness to see the truth about yourself? Because like I said, if a man wishes... This goes for a woman, too. If if we think we are wise, let us marry. Because in that relationship, we are going to come face-to-face with who we are eventually. Are we willing to go that road? And the more you go that road, the more you will be ready for the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and the more room you will have in your heart, in your mind, in your soul for God to dwell in there which is what John, 1 John 4.12 was talking about. So anyway, we're going to go through a bunch more quotes when we come. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we're, we're looking at uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, Committed. And uh, when I was first listening to it, I was thinking, like, somebody needs to be committed. <laughs> But I want to be very understanding is the fact that, the, you know, I blame modern pastors and modern Christians because they haven't really shown what Christianity is. I mean, most many have come saying they're Christians and they're simply not doing what Christ said or what he commanded or what he insisted upon. Uh, they're not even doing what he suggested. And they're actually often doing the opposite of what he said, which we've gone over. But just to get to as many of these quotes as we can before we run out of time in the show... Uh, she goes on to say anybody can love the most wonderful parts of another person, but that is not the clever trick. Love is not a clever trick, by the way. The really clever trick is this, she says. Can you accept the flaws? Can you look at your partner's faults honestly and say, I can work around that. I can make something out of that, uh, out of it, those, those flaws, because... 
the good stuff is always going to be there. Well, actually, the good stuff's not always going to be there. <laughs> uh, good stuff, you know, good dreams become nightmares. That's the way it works. And it's always going to pretty and sparkly, but the crap underneath can ruin you. Well, the reality is, is that crap underneath can rotten the whole darn person. I mean, what is the rotten apple? Uh, a rotten barrel of apples starts with the first rotten apple, and then it rots everything else. So you don't want to do something with somebody. Yes, you can. You can love the individual not what the individual can give you. And you'll see that in her theme, that she's she's coming together for what she can get out of the relationship. And she can work with that. I can work around that. I can get what I want with this person, like there's some sort of clay and she's the potter. No, God is the potter, or somebody else is the potter. <laughs> And you want God to be the potter because God of creation is the one who gives life. Other potters make a mess of things. So, yeah, you want to be able to see the flaws and forgive the flaws and leave absolution of the flaws to God. But your commitment is to the man or to the woman, to the relationship. Marriage should be a covenant between a man and a woman. It's not a covenant between a man and a woman in the state. It has become that, but that's not what it should be. It's a covenant in the eyes of God. And God needs to rule in the heart of both the man and the woman. It won't always happen that way. The man and the woman can accept God or reject God, accept the truth, or reject the truth, trying to create their own truth. You know, that's what Adam, I'm sure there was a lot of conflicts, and that's what God is saying in that story of Adam and Eve, is that because Adam uh, did not listen to what he knew was right in his own heart, but listened to the woman, and the woman listened to this outside influence that was in the culture of the garden, this this serpent, this dragon in the garden, who said, oh, there is no truth. There's whatever you want to have as truth. You can make up your own truth. You can be like God. No, she believed that or accepted that or at least went along with that because she thought she would get some sort of power or prestige or something or whatever. She she says, I can work around that. (laughs) I can make something out of that. And Adam said, no, we're not supposed to eat that. But he did not stick to his guns, and then when he was caught naked, without authority to decide what was good and evil, he blamed it on the woman and God instead of accepting his responsibility. So in all the things, in all your relationship, you need to accept the responsibilities. And part of that is a responsibility of care for one another taking care of one another. That's difficult. That requires sacrifice. You can have the government do it, and they will just take a bite out of your neighbor to provide you with free benefits, or you can sit down and do it yourself. Uh, This big freeze that took place in in Texas and hurt a lot of people, 
uh, we had some people in Texas, they, their water ended up freezing up. And, uh, you know, they were ill-prepared, some of them. Some of them were better prepared than others. Uh, but uh, uh, Casio Cortez had her, you know, asked help from her Twitter followers and got $2 million, I think it was, from her tw- Twitter followers in 24 hours. And uh, that may not continue to increase. It may dwindle. But the reality is, is that mounts to about seven cents per Texan. <laughs> the fact is, there, there's 29 million Texans, and they can, uh, they can help one another, and that would actually bring the blessings of the Holy Spirit into their lives. But anyway, another really popular quote from her book is, "You can measure the happiness of marriage by the number of scars that each partner carries on their tongue." Earn from years of biting back angry words. Why are there angry words? There should not be angry words. If there's forgiveness, you don't have to have angry words. You don't have to carry them around like Marley's chain. You can let it go and uh, forgive. And that the power of that and allow the love of God to flow through you towards that person. Uh, it's to some people that will still be like hot coals. But uh, God will issue it out. It can also feel like warmth and comforting to know that this person loves you anyway. Not not thinking, I can work around your crap, but I'm going to expose your crap <laughs> gently with love and hope that you grow with me and I hope you expose my crap so that you can I can grow with you. This is... And the scars are mutually held because you are one body, no more twain. There isn't the jealousy and competition. You're not enemies of each other. You are gathering together to allow the Holy Spirit to come in your midst, two or more. Desiring another person, she says, is perhaps the most risky endeavor of all. What the heck does that mean, desiring another person? We are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We gather together with other people to impart and share righteousness with them. That's why we want other people. Not for what we can get out of them, but what we can give to them. Now, magnify that. Like I said, you can't find the kingdom until you find one another. Find the truth. And one of the best ways to do that is in marriage, in the family. So you don't get married for what you can get. You get married for what you can give. You gather in congregations not for what you can get, but for what you can give. And you want to give with love because when you give with love, even if someone tries to misuse your gift, if it's given with love, the power of those hot coals are incorporated physically into the object you gave them. Did you understand that? (laughs) The hot cold, it's hot because of the Holy Spirit. If you give something based upon the inclination, the revelation of the Holy Spirit to somebody else, with that thing comes the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they don't accept, if they misuse it according to their own spirit or according to evil, it will become... It, it will become a fire in their own life. If they use it wisely, it will become a comforting fire, a warming fire. This is built in 
to the physical realm in which we live. Now, that's a little bit of the metaphysics. People may not have to believe that if they don't want to right now. But the fact is, the key thing here, she goes on to say, it is as though you have taken surgical needle and sutured your happiness to the skin of that person so that any separation will now cause lacerating injury. No. You are no more twain. You are one flesh. You're not just surgically connecting the parts of that person that make you feel good and leaving the rest to bleed out somewhere. (laughs) You see, she's not making the commitment, the holy matrimony commitment that Christ talked about, that God inspired us to have. She goes on to say, sometimes life is too hard to be alone. Sometimes life is too good to be alone. Well, yeah, you come together to share your life with others. That's about the giving part. You want to give to other people. Sometimes life is too hard to be alone. Absolutely, when that velociraptor is in the mouth of the cave, that woman's going to hope that the husband got home on time. Because <laughs> she's not going to take care of that velociraptor on her own. Uh, but anyway, the problem, simply put, she goes on to write, is that we cannot choose everything simultaneously. So we live in danger of becoming paralyzed by indecision, terrified by every choice might be the wrong choice. Well, that's because it's your choice. You're terrified of the power to decide good and evil. You're not supposed to decide good and evil. You're supposed to discern what is right, what is wrong, based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. But you won't let the Holy Spirit in because you're too jealous and envious to wantonness, to desirous, to to vain, to let the Holy Spirit. All these things, these virtues, this is what culture, the virtuous culture, the culture that that tries to inspire virtue in the in the adults and in the children. Responsibility, accepting you know, your faults, your errors. She goes on to say the problem simply put is that we cannot choose everything simultaneously. Well, everything exists simultaneously. You just can't pick and choose what truth you want to receive. You have to receive the whole truth and provide for it. Like Patrick Henry said, I want to know the whole truth and provide for it. That's why I tell you you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You're not doing what Christ commanded. You're not loving one another instead you're taking a bite out of one another through a socialist system and you've been doing it for a hundred years it's just gotten worse and worse and worse she even goes on in the book in another place i don't have the quote in front of me but talks about the fact that uh you know that the black community she doesn't understand slavery she doesn't understand what went on in slavery that you were more likely to be raised by both parents during the time that blacks were enslaved than you are today. When the blacks came out of slavery, and blacks weren't the only ones who were enslaved in those days, but when the blacks came out of slavery, there was they were, they had stronger husband and wife marriageable relationships. They were almost there were far less single-parent families amongst the black community than there was amongst the white community. 
they knew this because, like she said, life is hard, and they knew that family was essential for their survival. Uh, even even in the turn of the first part of the 1900s, 1903, 1904, 1907, most blacks were raised by both parents. Single-parent families were rare. It was like less than 3%. It wasn't until welfare where you started taking a bite out of one another, started forcing the contributions of the people through the agency of men who exercised authority that you began to destroy the black community. That's just a historical statistical fact. So you don't, you don't realize that. That is, you have the family to avoid the tyrants of the world the Tyrannosaurus tyrants of the world that are want to come in and devour you, but you've been biting one another for a hundred years in America, mostly since, you know, 1930s and 1960s. But that's, that's why you're about to be devoured, why you're going to lose your children, the delicate children, the delightful children. The, the, the word there that you'll see in uh, Micah can be translated a number of different ways. She goes on to write in her book, Real Sane Mature Love, the kind that pays the mortgage year after year and picks up the kids after the school is not based on infatuation, but on affection and respect. Actually, it's based on that love of God. Uh, respect, yes, but respect of what is right. You you just want to do it. Those people didn't think about jumping in front of that crazed lady with a knife. They did it because it was ingrained into them. It's a part of humanity. And the more you exercise it, the more human you become. The more man and woman you become. The more mankind as God intended you become. She even goes on and writes in here, A fish and a bird may indeed fall in love, but where shall they live? Well, that's Tevia. <laughs> but... You will live in righteousness. All these problems kind of go away. You have to stop eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and realize that through revelation, and the revelation comes to those who are willing to admit, I haven't got all the answers. I have to look at myself. You have to know yourself to know your spouse. You have to know each other to know your congregation. You have to know your congregation to know your ministers and your ministers are they servants or are they tyrants so many churches i see the ministers more as tyrants if you one of the things i've written many times and said many times if you want to oppress the people first you oppress the women women are often of less stature less strong uh more easily physically dominated men are often you know, heavier bone, more muscle mass, etc., could easily dominate a woman and oppress her physically. But that is not the true nature of what man is. He's attempted to do that. By And women often pretend to be much weaker than they really are in order to tempt a man. But the reality is the man wants to look at his... At the true relationship of a man and a woman his father and daughter. He wants to protect her. He wants to defend her, not oppress her. And she wants to nurture him 
you know, maybe he got a couple of bites from that Velociraptor, and she's going to have to bandage him up afterwards. She's going to cook up. He's going to get the first steak from that Velociraptor's hindquarters <laughs> after the battle because she wants him strong because that that's where his part of his role is to protect. But both of them have the role of bringing the Holy Spirit into the cave to lighten up the cave and not sit in darkness. You don't light the Holy Spirit. It brings its own light. Evil will bring a light, too, and make you think you know. It will appeal to your vanity and your jealousy and your envy. Socialism does this. That The culture of socialism is not the culture of Christ. The culture of Christ is sacrifice for one another, to take care of one another. First, take care of yourself. Eat. Then pray you know how to take care of others, your spouse, your children. Then expand out that righteousness and start taking care of your community. Sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network of charity instead of the network of force which you've been creating for the last 100 years. This is why you're absolutely, I hear people on Facebook complaining, open up Oregon, you know, stop the shutdown, you know, and on and on and like this. It's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like cows at the slaughterhouse mooing, moo, moo, all complaining, but nobody. They're all going to die because they don't know how to come together. Well, that's okay for cows because the herdsmen, that's another thing people don't understand. I don't want to get off on that tangent, but the herdsman, he does slaughter some of the cows in his herd and eats them. But this gives them the strength to put up the hay that they're eating during the winter. The herd does not live for itself. Anyone who is a herdsman, well, I mean, there are a few black lace sheep <laughs> for themselves, uh, you know, like the suffix and the hams and stuff. But a white-faced rain sheep, it lives for the herd. When there's danger, they come together because they live for the herd. And the biggest and most aggressive stand to the outside and all the younger and the inside. And they put themselves between the harm and they stand together in courage. If you don't do that, the Holy Spirit will not dwell in your midst. I always thought it was funny. I'd see the, we had a wild Mustang. We rode it, and it lived to like 29, 30 years old. And, uh, but it was out there running with the sheep. And when a coyote would come in the field, the, the sheep would all run to the, to this big black Mustang that was out there. And they, she would stand there, and the sheep would be completely surrounded in a sea of wool. You know, underneath her and around her legs and everything, you know, 100, 200 sheep. And uh, and the coyotes wouldn't go near because it was bad enough looking at 400 eyes looking at them. But uh, they had this big black Mustang stab. <laughs> well, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit. If you guys will come together, the Holy Spirit will dwell in your midst. This is why Christ says, where two or more are gathered together in my name, two or more husband and wife, two or more families, altars of clay, Two or more altars of stone, ministers of God, knowing what that is. If you haven't been listening, you're missing a lot of the stuff that is going on between the lines right now. She also writes, uh, My love affair with him, evidently Felipe, had a wonderful element of romance to it. That's all about what she can get. Feelings, emotions, and everything. 
but she wasn't going to make the commitment. I don't see any children in her story at all. And she goes on to talk about early Christianity wasn't, they, they, they were, you know, Paul wasn't promoting marriage. Nonsense. Paul was promoting marriage. You have to understand that the church is the called out. They have a particular role, a particular mission in order to to return every man to his family and to his possessions so that his possessions can help take care of his family. And then he can also learn the sacrifice of Christ by taking some of his possessions and freely giving them to take care of other people's families because he has to care about his neighbor as much as he cares about himself. You can't do that except in capitalism. And capitalism isn't a political system. But Christianity is a political system. It's not going to elect rulers. It's going to elect servants. But those servants have to stay servants. Your servants out there in the world, in the constitutional orders and systems of government that you've created for yourself, contrary to Deuteronomy, contrary to what the Bible says, uh, you have you've you've created your rulers who take and take and take and take and take and take and take, and, take, and then you're surprised that they take and take and take. <laughs> Why are you surprised? You created offices of power. Men who sought power sought office. They've become millionaires. And you've become impoverished. And your children are in debt by trillions and trillions of dollars. And you're sitting around mooing as they're lining you up for the slaughterhouse. Wake up. The woke won't wake up because they already think they're woke in their pride. But you can wake up and start doing what Christ actually commanded us to do start taking care of one another and stop pretending to be religious and emotionalizing the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to really come into your life and come into your relationships and develop the culture of the Holy Spirit, the culture of Christ, the culture of sacrifice for one another where you lay down your life as you choose according to the faith that God writes upon your heart and your mind. This is, this is, people want me to say more how the kingdom works. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, gather in those groups, gather in those larger groups, start casting your bread upon the waters, and God will show you how it works. You will learn by doing. You don't learn by reading. Certainly you can read, but then you have to set down the book and actually start building the kingdom with your lamad, with your hands, with your heart, with your mind. And God will show you the way. So, yeah, Christianity promoted family. Uh, she's wrong about that. She's wrong about a lot of things. But it doesn't matter what she's wrong about. It's a matter about what you're wrong about and what you're right about. So let's seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See you on the network. Go to Preparing You. Join the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Let's start speaking to people.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.